Welcome to Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. Everything about Glasgow's West End. This is episode four. My name's Jim Byrne and the Pat in the title is Pat Byrne. Pat's been running a website about Glasgow's West End since 1999, so she knows a wee bit about the area. So in this particular episode, we have my, the second part of my interview with Ian Smith, uh, one of the main founders of the Glasgow West End record label, Last Night from Glasgow. This particular part of the interview concentrates much more on the mechanics of actually running a record label. Uh, talks about uh, all sorts of stuff about the branding of the label. Uh, talks about the artists they've signed, what they do for the artists they signed, how they expect the label to grow, and also a bit about uh, the future and how uh, Ian's thoughts on how they're going to replicate uh, Last Night from Glasgow and Last Night from some other big city. As we rejoin Ian, he's starting to talk about the ethos of the label, their approach, and why that might be attractive to members. They believe in the record label's taste, I suppose, in some sense. Well, people will buy music they haven't heard of all the time. I buy records based upon how the sleeve looks and what I think about it. Uh, if a record label that I like who have put out five records that I love release something, I'm likely to go and buy that because I think the editorial process will make it function. But the fundamental point that I have or my fundamental concern would be that we be funded by people who are buying into it for the ethical, dare I say, spiritual goodwill of doing this Mm -hmm because they're going to be much less inclined to jump ship. And interestingly, you know, we lose members. Of course we do. You know, we've gone from wanting 60 to this year we'll have 250. Uh, But of those 250, we've probably had 30 or 40 people over a couple of years who have joined and left. Some people have left because, you know, finances are tight. You know, they've lost their job and they don't really want to spend 50 quid at the start of the year. I can understand that. But the vast bulk of people who have left when asked why have said, well, I can't get to the concerts and they're seeing an absence in value because they can't get out at night, which is absolutely fine. Uh, Or, well, I wasn't that taken with what you released. Mm -hmm. Now, that's great. Of course, they should not continue to support us if they don't like what we've released. But actually, I hope the vast majority of our members aren't worrying about artistically what we're releasing and they're worrying about why we're doing it mm-hmm. and how we're doing it. Because what we actually want is the press and the public at large to be the ones who worry about what we release artistically. And that was never truer than, say, with Teen Canteen's album, because we put that out for release, and before it became released, it sold out in pre-order. Right. So that record never made it to the shops right. because there were none left. Right. Okay. Uh, so that tells us we struck the right balance. We had a marketplace of people who wanted to buy the product and a marketplace of people who wanted to fund it. Now we got some crossover, five or six people who bought the album then looked at the label and thought, I love these guys, I'll join the label. Five or six Sister John fans, buy the record, join the label. Couple of Annie Booth fans, buy the record, join the label. Couple of Medicine Men fans do it. But by and large, we want those fan bases to remain intact. Mm. We don't want to be sucking all the custom. See the, uh, I know it's not exactly related, but you've got these different bands, and they're not all doing the same kind of things. How do you, or do you, 
take charge of the kind of branding and the visual elements or the styling? And is that anything to do with the label? Or is oh, well, we the fans doing their own thing? Well, in terms of the functionality of Last Night from Glasgow, we do everything. Right. So we've probably jumped past a couple of key learning curves or a couple of key moments in our, in our existence. You know, before we started, uh, before our first launch, you know, probably before, in fact, long before our first record came out, Mark Georgeson, uh, who's an Albion Rovers fan, who's a friend of Brian Sweeney. Brian Sweeney's quite a famous photographer in Glasgow. Uh, Mark approached Brian about Brian providing a picture for the cover of his single. Brian said, delighted to. Uh, I contacted Brian to say, look, we really appreciate you giving us this. This is like a big deal. This is a beautiful piece of art you've given us. And Sweeney, as I now know him, said, oh, do, you, do you want to meet for a pint and have a chat? And we said, sure. So Sweeney said, well, let's go down to the distill in Finiston. So one Monday night, uh, which was an incredibly important night for LNFG because it was the same night that Team Canteen agreed to release their album with us. I remember distinctly sitting in distill and getting a phone call from Carla and I had to run up to the West End to metaphorically sign the deal. Uh, but... Sweeney came to the pub that night, sat down in front of Stephen and I. I'll never forget he was holding two oranges. I don't know why he was holding two oranges, but he was. And he sat down and put these two oranges on the table and said, I want to ask you guys something. Be, feel free to tell me to bugger off. But I was thinking I might become the label photographer. Right. <laughs> and Stephen and I kind of looked at each other. And thinking, this is a guy who shot Ewan McGregor. This is a guy who shot PJ Harvey. This is a guy that's made teenage fan club videos. This was the official photographer of the Commonwealth Games. He's asking to be our photographer. And he's expecting us to tell him where to go. Mm -hmm. So we accept him immediately. And that created for us having someone who could provide any visual assistance we needed. Mm -hmm. So he did the video, did the, the photo work for M single. He shot a video for Mark. He flew to Spain and his expenses for the trip to Spain was us buying his Ryanair flight. And in Spain, he shot Morgan's, M's. Mm -hmm. She's called Morgan, but she performs as M. Right. Uh, he shot Morgan's video in Spain right. for like 98 quid. Right. Uh, he, he did photography for Stephen Solo. He did photo shoots for Teen Canteen. Yeah, because the, the visual stuff is very strong. So, Which I know something, thing I noticed when I looked at all the stuff. So, you know, Brian mm. has, since day one, been our go-to photographer. This week we'll be releasing the, f the first video from Zoe Bestel, and Brian shot that. Uh, so we always had someone who could do photography and make videos for us, who was top of his game. Mm -hmm. Stephen, uh, one of the founder's best mate, a guy called Davey, is a graphic designer. Right. Davey came up with the graphics for our logo, our name. Mm -hmm. Davey came up with the fonts that we use in records. Davey came up with all that. And for the first six or seven months, first year of the company probably, David did all our typesetting and all our graphics. So Brian would do the photography, give the photography to Davey, Davey would make a sleeve up. So visually we were always great. Over the last year we've become very uh, involved with a guy called Colin MacArthur. Colin has taken it a stage further than Davey in that Colin now pitches designs. So famously this year when we put out the Sun Rose album, uh, they didn't have any graphics ideas. Uh, well, Colin 
put together the entire package for their album, designed the sleeve, mm. designed the logos, designed the brand's name, designed every aspect of it, and one afternoon just went, here's what I was thinking, and the band just said, yeah, we'll have that. <laughs> uh, Colin did all the graphic design for Zoe's album that's coming out, did all the typesetting for Annie Booth's album and graphics for that. Brian Sweeney did all the photography for Annie Booth's album. Uh, but something like Sister John, where Brian Sweeney did all the photography, Sister John themselves decided to do the typesetting and the graphic work. Mm-hmm. Teen Canteen and Carla traditionally do their own layout and typesetting as they want to. Mm-hmm. But if an artist came to us with a song and nothing else, we could take that from the very beginning to the complete end and include within our arrangement with them every aspect of it being produced. And here's the big key aspect, without any cost being set against the artist for this. Recording? We're not recording yet. We're not recording. Uh, We're expecting artists to come to us with the recorded material. We are manufacturing, designing, producing artwork. We're doing the photo shoots, the video design, the video manufacture. We're doing the digital release, the physical release, we're doing the launch event, we're doing the booking of supports for the launch event, we're doing the promotion, the press, and the tour management. Right, okay. So you so do tour stuff? Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. If a band want to get a tour arranged, we'll help them facilitate it, we'll get the gigs organised, we'll sell the tickets, we'll handle it. So essentially for things that we are not funding, we will become a finance house for. So if a band want to play a gig in Edinburgh but they don't have the money to book the venue and pay the supports, we'll front it. Right. Uh, so yeah we're a one stop shop yeah that's interesting because I was thinking I, I wasn't really sure when I was listening to some of the material I th- it, was, it was all pretty damn good you know, it was all pretty well recorded and stuff and I, th- I was wondering whether you'd done the production or whether you had a studio and something you know like uh, no we don't uh, Mark's stuff was recorded in Reykjavik and Edinburgh uh, Morgan's stuff was recorded in Stirling uh, Stephen Solo records at home. Everything he does, he records on an iPhone. Uh, Teen Canteen did some in La Chunky, did some in Tape in Edinburgh. Uh, we'd like to get to a situation that we can start paying for artists to record, but the amount of money involved in that is sizable. The risk involved in it is sizable because at present we know what we are releasing. If we give someone some cash to go and record something, we don't even know what they're going to record. And then you're kind of obligated to release it. Uh, but we'd need to double our revenue to make that happen. Mm. And doubling our revenue means doubling our size. Uh, and having 500 members of LNFG would be administratively mm-hmm. slightly more difficult to manage than having 250. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I record, we record our own stuff. You know, it's, okay. it's not expensive for us, obviously, because I've been doing it since I was Yeah, well, Sister John recorded <laughs> most of their album in their house. <laughs> You know, that was pretty much yeah. entirely home recorded and I think it's the most beautiful record to come out of Scotland mm-hmm. in the last decade. I mean, I think it sounds glorious. Mm-hmm. And it was recorded in their pantry, mm-hmm. essentially. Some of the drums were recorded in a bedroom, some were recorded in a cupboard. Yeah. Wherever they could get the right acoustic space for it, it sounds glorious. You don't need to be spending £10,000 and hiring a studio to make a good album. But, you know, if we're going to put up all the money for everything else then I guess our expectation is the band, you know, get it to a stage that we can say, yes, Mm -hmm. that's worthy of recording. And the truth is that nowadays bands are doing that because the whole model is self-release anyway. Everybody's self-releasing on Spotify and self-releasing on iTunes and making their own CDs and putting it in Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. So really, 
what we can do is come into a band who are thinking of doing it themselves and say there is no disadvantage to you involving us mm-hmm. in fact there's a massive advantage because mm-hmm. we're going to take every cost from here on in mm-hmm. and we're going to bear it yeah no it's a, it's a pretty well as I said you know having looked at stuff is pretty impressive can you tell me uh, again because my head was a bit exploded when I looked at all your stuff how many bands have you now got and how many releases uh, have you done? Okay, well, on on the 21st of April, we will release physically LNFG 11. Right, okay. So that'll be our 11th vinyl record. And that's in two years. Three of those were singles. LNFG 1, 2 and 4 were seven inch singles. Uh, since 4, we have only released vinyl albums. Uh, okay. So we've had uh, seven, I want to say. I'll do the quick maths. It might be six and my counting's gone. Teen Canteen, Mark Georgeson, uh, were both in our first year mm-hmm. of vinyl release. Uh, the next year, we released Teen Canteen's a 10-inch EP vinyl. Then we released Medicine Men, Sister John, Annie Booth, and Sun Rose. Uh, and this year, we're kicking off with Zoe Bestel. Throughout the rest of the year, we'll do five more. So we're going to finish 2019 with LNFG 16. Uh, of those, we know what all of them are. We've only gone public on five of them. The sixth has not yet been revealed. I know what it is. I know what it's going to be, but I'm just keeping it quiet. So of the other four, Radiophonic Tuck Shops album will be LNFG 12. The Gracious Losers will be 13. Uh, L Space will be 14. And personal huge excitement for me, 15 will be the first album in about 15 years from Biss. Yeah, I read that. that was... Which is really phenomenal because I was trying to convince them about 15 years ago to help me keep them together long enough that my wife could see them play live because they were splitting up and my wife was in Canada and had never seen them. And I was trying to say to Stephen, I'll pay, just stay together for another gig. Uh, so to be putting out their album is just ridiculous. Uh, so we've done, by the end of 19, we'll have done 16 vinyl records. We have released one, two, three. We will have released seven CDs. Uh, We have released one, two, three, three USB albums. So these are albums that we've put out in a physical USB format because we didn't want to release them. A stick. Yeah, like a stick. We released one as a wristband. Mm. We put Boo Hoo Hoo's EP out in our slap wristband. Mm. So people would buy it, they'd wear it as their ticket to the gig, and when they got home, there was a USB drive in it and all the songs were on it. Mm. It's really quite cool. Mm. Uh, and just this week, we have put out digitally LNFG D21. So 21 digital releases. Mm. So 21, 16, 39, 42, 40. Six releases in 24 months. I can't, can't even get my head around that. That is unbelievable. Uh, That's just unbelievable. It is. Now, a lot of those are duplicate things. So the digital release of Sister John's album is a digital, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if we put out an album, we'll probably preface it by a single. So Annie Booth's album had three singles from mm-hmm. it. We don't really see those three singles as individual releases. We see them as part of the promotion of the album. Mm-hmm. So so long as you see it that way, so Zoe's single that comes out next Friday is really promo for the album that comes out a month later. Mm. Singles nowadays don't really exist. Any song can be a single if it does well on the iTunes chart. So when you say single, you're putting out a single, do you mean you're digitally releasing a song? Yeah. Yeah. 
a, a standalone song. How would you distribute that? that I, well, it would go to every one of the worldwide distribution areas, so iTunes, Spotify, right, okay. you know. through a particular... through yeah. emu bands we use. Emu bands. They're, right. they're a Glasgow-based aggregator. Oh, right, okay. Right. So we, we produce it, we get everything together, we stick it up to them, they distribute it through the world and they collect the royalties on our behalf and pay them to us. Okay. Uh, our model is that every penny raised from a digital sale or a stream goes straight back to the artist. Every point zero zero point zero zero one of a pence... 0.003 pence per song. Uh, yeah, it's an absolute disgrace. And the truth is, if you're manufacturing 500 records, no one's going to take over the world in 500 records, but they might get 50,000 streams of a song. Mm-hmm. The reality is, they'll make less money in 50,000 streams than they'll make in 100 records. Mm-hmm. But it's the necessary evil of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I passionately hate Spotify. Uh, anytime I've got to promote a song, I'll promote the iTunes link. I will not promote the Spotify link because right. I want someone to pay 79 pence to buy the damn thing. I don't want them to pay nothing to stream it. Mm-hmm. But this cuts to the, the problem of the music industry and what's, what drove part of my desire to do this is, you know... What's what's wrong with the general public? And in particular, the youth. Sorry to offend anyone that's listening to this, but we live in a world now where hipsters will jump down to a barber's and pay 15 quid to get their beer trimmed. Mm-hmm. They'll pop into an avocado shop and spend five pounds on some avocado snack they will go to Brewdog and spend £4.50 and half a pint of beer. They'll pop into Melissa's cheese shop and spend £8 and a pound of cheddar. But their music should be free. Yeah. They'll spend 15 quid to go to Cineworld and see a movie. You know, they'll spend £600 to get a season ticket for a football club and pay, essentially pay £25 to £30 a week to watch the same 90 minutes of dross. But their music should be free. Mm-hmm. That's not something that has happened because the public wanted it to happen. It's something that happened because the industry has driven that mantra. Mm -hmm. And the people that are making millions off Spotify aren't the artists. It's the record companies. Record companies are reaming it in, Mm -hmm. making buckets of cash, and presenting this argument that it's good for artists to give away their music. Well, it isn't. In what other walk of life? Do people give stuff away? Now, what that also does is it then creates this logic that music has no value. Mm -hmm. And if it has no value, the artists making it have no value. So they won't mind playing a support slot for 50 quid. We can book them to turn up and play for 50 pounds, even though there's four members in the band and they live in Edinburgh. And the petrol costs alone and the food costs is more than the money they're getting paid. But they're getting sold the dummy that... It's exposure. No, yeah. that's new, of course. You know, that's always going on. No, but the difference is, if you, 25 years ago, are a young up-and-coming band looking to play a crappy support slot in a venue in Glasgow, you're turning up with 100 copies of your record and the only way anyone can get that record is by buying it. If somebody offered one of my bands a £50 support slot and I knew we could sell 20 copies of the record at it, 
then that suddenly becomes a £450 mm-hmm. support slot. Mm-hmm. What's happening is those bands are playing £50 support slots so the audience can stream it on Spotify for nothing. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a guy, I was being interviewed by The Skinny the other week and I was talking to someone, the, 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 the journalist, who actually, after I interviewed him, went online and joined the company and bought a membership for LNFG and said that after speaking to me, he just couldn't not do it, because such was so compelling was the argument. Yeah. But he... Well, he was saying <laughs> that he'd been to see a band in Edinburgh, and they'd played this, the same band had played Glasgow the night before. In Edinburgh, sorry, not in Edinburgh, in Manchester, and in Manchester, the average age of the audience was 35, and in Glasgow, the average age of the band said was 20. The band played to 40 folk in Manchester and 100 folk in Glasgow and they sold five times as much merch in Manchester. And he was asking me what I thought about that and I said, well, that that goes without saying. The average age of our audience is about 40. People who come to LNFG shows are not 1920. They're people who are in their 30s and 40s. They're people who know that music has a value, yeah. know you should pay used for it. used to buying, I suppose, certainly in the past. Well, used to owning music, you know? and used to valuing it. And I really think we've got to change this whole argument we're saying we're doing this for nothing it's not viable that every record company in the world not make any money that's ridiculous but if we stand at one extreme of what is fair and at the other extreme are record companies who are milking their artists you know bleeding them dry somewhere in the middle has to be a reasonable happy happy middle ground and what i hope is the industry starts trying to find that happy middle ground and it's not just streaming it's pr it's radio play, it's support slots, it's my biggest bugbear, which is ticket splits. If I could outlaw anything, I would outlaw ticket splits tomorrow. They're a fundamentally evil thing, and they are prevalent in Glasgow. And this whole argument is about artists giving up their rights now for a bigger payday in future. Pay, play for nothing, but you might get a bigger chance Oh, if you do this show for nothing, we'll get you on this bigger show. And if you do that show, maybe you'll get a slot here. It's just constant manipulation, and the yeah. people doing it are the ones who stand to make money out of it. Yeah, it's a funny thing. I mean, I've been doing the same. No, doing the same thing. I've been playing music for a long time. But uh, my particular, where I've arrived in terms of value of my own music and the value of doing it is not uh, any kind of notion that I'm trying to make it or any kind of notion that I'm trying to go up the greasy pole uh, my whole thing is about doing the things you're doing and enjoying them when you're doing them <laughs> putting a gig on yeah. because it's a night yeah. that people are going to come along and are going to enjoy and the band's going to enjoy it. and it's only the night that's it's about it's yeah. not about advertising the band it's not about pushing the band forward it's not about increasing your, your career prospects it's all about a great night you know that's my only kind of way yeah. of approaching music and my bands and mine yeah, and, and and I it's think the same with our recording you know we're, we're only recording because we love recording and yeah. we love writing music and, and we, we feel very much the same way that an event should be an event in its own right it's really important to us that when members and guests come to a last night from Glasgow concert they go away yeah. thinking they've experienced something yeah. special well, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that I kind of respond, in response to the notion that I know that I cannot make money from music you know and so there's a, there's no kind of it's not like there's a route that if uh, if I was that sort of person I could take that route 
The route doesn't exist anymore. So there's well, only one way of playing music for somebody like myself, which is to do it for its own sake. I, I believe the route does exist, but I don't believe it's a short path. And my one concern is the path that I want us to take to establish that route is a long one. Yeah. Now, I'm in it for the long game. If it takes me 10 years to create with LNFG what I want, well, then that's great. But the artists don't want to wait 10 years. No. Well, that's the thing. You're dealing with people who are, well, younger than me anyway, uh, who still probably have a kind of notion that music is a career they can have or music is a way they can make a living, or whatever. Yeah. I do know some people that I do. think there's very few who harbour that, but there's quite a few who dream for it. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. But for me, we have, we have different objectives. Our constant job is to be continually be re-educating people. Yeah. So I spoke about that first launch night we had. We had 93 people in a room, and the vast majority of them didn't know each other. They were individuals who joined the label. By the end of that night, friendships were formed. <laughs> people left as mates. Yep and left as part of this club. And now at concerts, we expect this club to monitor the room and, and manage the situation. Because what we don't want, you know, at our clubs, we have a zero tolerance in talking at our nights. You know, you can talk between songs, by all means. You can talk between the bands. But if a band's on stage, shut up. Absolutely. You know, you came here to listen to music. Yeah. We didn't come here to hear you talk about what you did at the weekend. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing where music's been devalued. You don't go to the theatre and talk. You don't go to the ballet and talk. No. Some folk go to the cinema and talk, and the audience universally tells them to shut up. But there are people here who believe music is a backdrop to their night out. Yeah. Music is the night well, out. Well, in some places and some types of music. Oh, fine. Kind of music you know, a gone. jazz band playing in a pub that you didn't ask yeah. for is fine. Absolutely. But I've spent £8 to go to a concert. Yeah, I expect concert. to hear yeah, the band. I totally agree with that. You know? So we have this basic... We On all of our you know gig nights, we have a sign-up which says keep your chatter to a minimum. Yeah. If you want to talk, go to the bar. Yeah. We generally book gigs and venues that don't have bars in the venue. Okay. You know, so Hugging Pint's great. doesn't have a bar downstairs. Mm -hmm. Or if it does, we don't let them open it. You know, the old hairdressers does have a bar, but it's so small it can't really make a racket. But you notice when you start playing in venues that have got bars, the noise builds and the noise encourage, encourages disassociation. Well, what we want is people to associate with the band. We want them to listen to it. We want them to love it. Ideally, we want them to leave buying a copy of the record mm -hmm. or joining the label. But, but people come back and back to our events because at them they actually get the opportunity to listen yeah. to the music. Okay, can I take this forward a wee touch? Sure. It sounds to me from, your, from the way you're talking, from your background, that the label itself comes out of your particular personality traits to a certain extent. Uh, and the growth of the label in the last couple of years has quite frankly been phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And the number of releases is phenomenal. Uh, and you've, you've got these different artists that you've now signed up. So how does that label where you are at service the people you've got and grow and meet the needs of the people you've got when you're on such a fast turnaround and you're still thinking of signing other people. How do you, given there's only so many hours in a day, <laughs> there's only so many people at the heart of the, the company, how, how do you envisage manage to sustain it and grow it without <coughs> ignoring the needs of the people that you've already got? Well, I can talk personally or I can talk collectively. Mm -hmm. 
uh, there's no doubt that collectively since the label started people have fallen by the wayside we don't have the same people running the company that started it right, some okay. folk have gone you know I just don't have the, I don't have the legs for this right. uh, I don't have the the, the the strength for it whatever it may be or I'm too busy uh, so we started with a a shareholding committee of six and a board of directors of four we now have a board of directors of five uh, a shareholding committee of eight uh, and we have a kind of what is, what, is, what is a shareholder committee and a board? Clothes? Well, the shareholders invest in the company, physically invest in the company. Right. So, you know, so you can buy a membership, which is 50 quid a year, or you can buy into LNFG. If somebody came along to me and said, I will give you a few hundred quid for a share in LNFG, I'd take the money and be delighted to. Right. You still have to buy your membership so every is year. Is it a limited company? It's a limited company. Right. So it's a non-profit limited company. Right. Why did we set up a limited company? Because we're businessmen. Right. You set up businesses that are limited by guarantee. I know the pitfalls of not running a limited company. So you started with 100% of the shares and you've given... So I st- we started with six shares and we all owned one. Right. Uh, since then, two more people have bought in as shareholders. Right. So we have eight shareholders. Right. Uh, so we have eight people who technically own Last Night from Glasgow. And we have five people who technically run it and then we have a committee of another four or five now how does one go from being a member to committee member to director Uh, well you ask and then you show drive and determination Uh, you know I would do everything in this company if I could do everything in this company because that's the type of person I am people say you want something done give it to a busy person well, I'm incredibly busy. Mm-hmm. Things get done. <laughs> but I recognise I can't do everything. Yeah. I recognise that my own job has changed quite a bit in that I'm getting very personally involved with a couple of the bands, you know, actively involved in their career, not just mm-hmm. my own. Well, in uh, some sense, that's the question I'm asking is, how do you do that when the, when the company gr- it keeps growing? How can you possibly sustain the careers of the people that are here at the moment? Well, what you do is you stand on a platform one day and scream I need help mm-hmm. and then you get a bunch of folks saying I'll help so in the last year members of LNFG uh, I can I'll happily name check them all Gary and Rose and Craig and Kenny all stepped forward and said we want to help and again the problem is well there's no point me delegating work because delegating work doesn't really take it off me because I have to train you how to do it and half the problem just now is out of time to do it Mm -hmm. so you really you throw a pile of work at a wall and see who grabs it Mm -hmm. so we're putting a compilation album out this month Gary Sloan who's a member of the label designed the artwork and basically dealt with the process of getting this thing together It's not an inordinately large job, but it's a job that he did that no one else had to do. So it's done. Rose has spent a lot of time behind the scenes trying to get artists on festival slots and speaking to people. And that's a job that needs done. So do you think that the company itself has somehow organically developed a culture that's going to allow you to grow this? It's got to. It has to. Now, the company itself probably can't get much bigger than it is. You know, it's probably got room for 30% more growth and then it becomes impossible to do any more than we're doing. There's only so much you can do in a year. Releasing six LPs a year, that's a pretty chunky job. If we started doing eight a year, where did you go? Six a year is an awful lot more than even major record companies do. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is we can start replicating ourselves. 
And although I've been saying this now for a year and we still haven't quite done it, last night from Calgary should be launching this year. Right, okay. And last night from Calgary is that classic example of me saying in a forum one day, we'd like to go international and a member we have from Calgary going, I'd like to do that. So this member of ours is currently building a committee in Calgary and currently looking at funding in Calgary. So taking your model. Taking our model and they're going to produce it. They're going to use the same name, the same font, the same everything. They will be able to launch on the back of us proving our success. Okay. We'll be able to help each other's artists, promote internationally via each other. I mean, it's ridiculous. It took two months to get Last Night from Glasgow off the ground. It's taken a year to get Last Night from Calgary off the ground. But so much of that is them coming to terms with the shadow we're casting. Because we were starting off with nothing and no expectation and no sense of what our achievements would be and no idea of failure. And they're starting off looking at us and thinking, Jesus... How do we get to there in How two years? How do replicate your, the culture and the kind of the personality that kind of created what, what has made this? But isn't, isn't that the problem with every company? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's taken 20 years in my actual business to find people who have got the same mindset as me to take it forward. Mm -hmm. And I think you just have to, you just have to keep persevering and eventually someone will come along who gets it. And in our committee this year, we've got three or four people who maybe don't have the same time, maybe don't have the same, you know, drive that I have to do this in all my spare time. But, you know, they're certainly willing to commit 10, 15 hours a week to getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. You know, one of them, Craig, was through in Edinburgh on Sunday night putting on his first concert. He's never in his life run a concert. He was there. I wasn't there. He was there. He was running the door. He was managing, you know, load in. He was managing sound check. He was managing merch sales. He was paying support acts. He was paying engineers. And I'm sure four or five months ago when he started getting involved with us, if I'd said, right, you're going to run a concert in March, he'd have been thinking, I have not got a clue how to do that. But he's done it. Mm -hmm. So now I know next time I can't attend a concert or next time I don't want to attend a concert or next time we've got two things clashing, Craig now knows how to do it. And he only learned how to do it by actually bloody well doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kenny's now taken over the kind of sound engineering aspect of our business, checking the quality of work, getting our records manufactured. So when we get something to manufacture, I take nothing to do with the manufacturing process. Kenny does all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's our liaison. Who's manufacturing your, uh, your vinyl? Uh, we use a company called Key Productions, who are a London-based company, mm -hmm. and they manufacture either in France with a company called Optimal or in the Czech Republic with a company called CZ, and we will base our judgment on which one we use based mm -hmm. upon the record. So you haven't had any problem actually getting the stuff manufactured? No, no. Right. no problem at all. But Kenny's in charge of that, and this year the six artists on our roster I am taking an overriding involvement in all six, but I am technically managing two. Craig is technically managing two, mm -hmm. and Kenny is technically managing two. Okay. Uh, so from a day-to-day -day management point of view, if Zoe needs stuff done, Kenny should be handling it. You know, if Biz needs stuff done, Craig should be handling it. If Elspace needs stuff done, it's Craig. If Gracious Losers needs stuff done, it's Kenny, mm -hmm. and I'll take. Uh, Radiophonic Tug Shop and the sixth artist I've yet to mention. Okay. Okay, right. My God.
how do you go from here? I mean, what is the future? How big do you think it's going to be? And what happens if one of your artists explodes, like another Nirvana or something? <laughs> well, okay, so let's cut to the artist chase. There is no contract. Right, okay. Right. We have no contract. Uh, we've had discussions recently with people who think we should have contracts, and I don't think we should, because if you're honest, I mean, the point is a contract protects someone breaching a contract. We're not going to breach a contract. Mm. We're not lying to you. We're not going to let you down. And whilst it's a great deal of faith to do something with someone when there's no piece of paper protecting it, all the protection of a recording contract is not artist protection. I don't care what anyone says. It doesn't protect the artist. We stand to be ritually abused by all of our artists. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had, a, we've had some relationships in the past that have not gone brilliantly for us. Uh, but every artist could describe me. A band could come to us, ask us to press their record, we could press their record, then they could go sign a deal with another label and we'd have a pile of records that we couldn't do anything with. So a big chunk of our process is sitting down uh, and I've never, this term's never gone into print or gone on air, but there's a real don't be a dick clause in the LNFG selection process. Mm -hmm. And that means if we're going to sign someone, we're going to for a pint with you. If we can't stomach having a pint with you, it ain't happening. So it's just a, a kind of, uh, you meet the people and you like them or you don't like them, you trust or you don't like, you don't trust, and you make a decision based yep. on gut. Entirely based on gut. It's mm -hmm. got to be, I like these guys. Mm -hmm. We've got eight of us who basically get involved in selection. We don't sit around having listening nights. Mm -hmm. Someone comes along and says, I think this band are great. And that happened recently. Daria, whose name I forgot to mention, who's one of our committee. Uh, Daria mentioned a band that she loved, sent me a link to some music. I listened to it, thought they were great. I said, hook up a meeting. I met them in Dundee last week. We chatted to them. You know, they might turn around and say, yep, let's do something. But prior to that, the selection process was Daria sharing one of their songs in a Facebook messenger group. Mm. And everybody being given the opportunity to say, I love this, don't touch it with a barge pole. And the basic rule of thumb is if you don't speak up, tough. You know, if you don't say something, and most of the artists we've signed in the last year have happened almost instantaneously. Uh, I took a shine to Zoe Bestel. I contacted her, wanted to go see her, sent a video around our group, and half the group said, that is beyond impeccable. We love her. I went away, agreed the deal, came back and said she's signed. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Mm -hmm. uh, L-Space, the band from Edinburgh, and Glasgow, kind of dual city band that we signed last September. Yeah, I had to listen to them just Same thing. You know, they sent an email in saying, this is our music. This is interesting. They sent an email in that was beautifully constructed. And that is something I have to say, you know, an email will get will, will attract my attention if the person that wrote it knows how to write an email, mm -hmm. you know. And something about this made me think, well, these guys have got their heads screwed on, you know. You know, it just just a compelling thing to read. And I phoned them up and said, I'm going, I'm going to be in Edinburgh tomorrow, do you want to catch a coffee? Met, met Gordon and Dixon for coffee in Edinburgh the following day, we'd signed them by five o'clock that night. Mm -hmm. I say signed them, we'd agreed to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. We're now releasing their album in September, put out their single last week. There's nothing, there's no written contracts, there's no deeds of agreement. Mm. There's just, we'll do this. Uh, and I'd like to think, for the most part, every artist that works with us has nothing but good things to say about mm -hmm. us. But there will come a time when an artist, you know, 
thinks they're about to break or are or is about to break. You know, we put out B Charlotte's second single. She just signed to Sony Columbia last week. Right. Now, since putting out her single and her signed to Sony Columbia, we've had no relationship with the artist. Right. Uh, and that's just due to various circumstances about how, how artists work and what they want to do. Some people are happy to come along and say, release my record and we'll discuss it after that. Others come along and basically say, we're with you for life. You know, mm-hmm. This is our home, we're staying. Had that happened at the point we were midway through releasing something or having just released something, then that's what our objective is. Our objective is to break artists. So them signing a major deal, it's great news for us. Look what we've managed to do. So we're actively approaching major labels and saying, why don't you help us co-release this? Why don't you think about funding this? Why don't you get behind the marketing of this? We're basically saying, we'll take all the risk. Why don't you take all the glory? Uh, And we're having discussions just now with people in London about that very idea. Because record companies aren't talent spotting just now. They're not doing it. They're reliant upon Spotify. It's just a very funny phase I suppose at the moment you know everybody's both musicians and people who are record labels they don't know what they're doing they don't know what to do you know, they're kind of yeah. uh, they know they, you know, there's a whole thing about nobody making make money from selling records and well you can definitely make money from, and, you can make money from selling records yeah. you definitely can but we're only making money for our artists by us not making any money yeah. if we were taking money yeah. I mean this company couldn't pay my salary no never mind the salary of everybody else. I earn more money in my job than this company turns over. So the, the idea of monetizing it is mm-hmm. impossible. It could never happen. But we're not trying to do that. What we're trying to do is, you know, make a statement mm-hmm. and wave a flag for the right way of doing things and try and just educate people. If we can explain to a band like L Space that when they put on a gig, they pay a support fee that merits the support band turning up, then maybe that support band, when they put on a gig, will pay a support fee that merits that band turning up. Mm -hmm. If band number one tries to exploit band number two, band number two will exploit band number three. (laughs) You know, so it's just about putting the right foot forward. No, no, you're right. It's it's quite refreshing, I have to say. As I say, one of the things, my problem, I suppose, has been around too long and getting a bit too cynical about the whole music thing, you know, as a, an artist making music and playing gigs over the years and having played with various bands. Uh, you just eventually get kind of ground down a wee bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can so get it's that. Quite, it's quite good to see somebody or a, a record label still full of enthusiasm for music and still trying to do things for the right reasons. You know? Well, the, the fact is, I believe people are generally good. Mm-hmm. You know, I think... That's a very kind of left-wing thing, isn't it? Well, it is. Yeah. But you've got to believe that. Yeah. I mean, I believe there's people out there who believe that being corrupt is in some way good. Mm-hmm. But they're convincing themselves that their corruption is good. You know, I looked at the, the, the accounts of a Glasgow, a very well-established Glasgow business recently. You can go on a company's house and look at these companies and see stuff. And this company turned over sorry, produced a gross profit of 3.6 million in 2016 and paid their directors dividends of 3.3 million. And this is an organisation who will tell the bands who 
plea with them that they can't get more than 50 quid for turning up. But their directors are pocketing 3.3 million in dividends. Now, how many folk are actually going online and looking up these company accounts? Very few people are. They're being fed, oh, well, it's tough to make a buck in this industry. Well, it's bloody not tough for you guys. You're making plenty of money. You're not struggling. Uh, I have a vague idea who you're talking about. Yeah, but but I, <laughs> I, have a, I have a belief that if you present a truthful, honest position, people will gravitate towards you who share your view. Mm-hmm. So we generally have artists on the label who have a socialist outlook. We generally have members who have a socialist outlook. Uh, we generally attract people to concerts who want to help out. If that's the, 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 the market mm-hmm. you're surrounding yourself in, it makes you enthusiastic and encouraged. Yeah. If yeah. everybody was coming to me going, when am I getting this? When am I getting that? Where's my this? Where's my that? Yeah. You'd get ground down. But actually, all we generally get from people is appreciation yeah. and thanks. So, of course, I'm enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's good. It's good. I mean, it, it reminds me of Well, I'm one of those folk that's going to say thanks, Ian. One of uh, life's extremely talented social entrepreneurs hopefully you enjoyed that we've got quite a lot of good stuff coming up so please if you don't mind subscribe to the podcast please rate the podcast because we would really appreciate that give us five stars on the itunes uh, add a comment as well and as i've said before if you've got people we'd like to interview or things you'd like that you would like us to feature or chat about please get in touch either email myself which is jim at glasgowestend.co.uk or email pat which of course is pat at glasgowestend.co.uk we're both on the twitter and the facebook you're more likely to find pat just type in pat glasgow west end on twitter i think pat's handle is what is it Glasgow's West End at Glasgow's West End Uh, so please get in touch and I'll catch up with you next time bye